Excelsior, true believers. It's Geek Top 5. Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to talk to you about the top five things that you need to know to be a part of the geeking world this week. Number five. Does anyone remember Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a low blow. It's still a popular show. I mean, it's not exactly... Uh, a huge cultural phenomenon like something like The Flash, but it's got a solid fan base. Mm-hmm. And it, you know what? And it's been getting much better critical reception over the last couple of seasons. It's starting up at season four now, and it's come a long way. It was the the tie-in to sort of the Avengers movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. These were the, the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the secret service organization that deals with superhero crap. Right. Um, they gum, the, Agent Coulson was a member. He was in uh, Iron Man and a bunch of the Marvel movies and got killed off in Avengers and brought back for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there was a big mystery about how he managed to survive that. Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson in the movies, is uh, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., although I imagine there have been a few changes in that role over the course <laughs> of the series. It's gone back and forth. It's always been fun. The show's been affected by what's happening in the movies. You know, the whole Hydra reveal, that kind of thing. Um, they've also recently been tying it more into Marvel stuff. They've worked in the Inhumans, they've worked in Hive, the, the big Hydra bad guy, who they've now also worked into the story of the Inhumans and the television version of it. Very cool. It's been building closer and closer to the big Marvel universe that we're all such big fans of. And the latest announcement, well, heck, announcement, it's already out there, they're bringing in Ghost Rider. Yeah, now this is a character that debuted in the, the 70s as a, a sort of an evil Knievel riff, a stunt motorcycle rider who also happened to be the spirit of vengeance, and he could burn people with his hellfire touch and his mystical chains. And he had, what is it? That, uh, oh, I had a note for about this. A penance gaze or a penance stare? Yeah. Something he, like that. He, he looks really hard at you and, you, and you recall all the horrible things you ever did. Yeah. So that version of the character had two movies uh, that were produced outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by one of the the other companies that they'd sold some character rights to, and that he was played somewhat infamously by Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. We've gone into more detail about that in a previous episode. That that's covered. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there there was Johnny Blaze, and then the '90s there was Danny Ketch, who was another Ghost Rider, who was basically the same thing, except in the most '90s storyline of all time, he got his powers while fighting gangster ninjas who killed his sister. So it's so convoluted, and and it got messy. This was like a fresh start to the character that uh, came about in 2013-2014. He's he's, uh, an attempt at a bit more diversity. His name is Robbie Reyes, and he doesn't ride a motorcycle. He's got a 69 Dodge Charger, and he's not... Which, is he still a rider in that case? I mean, it's tough call. Riding in the car? I I don't know. But he's he looks very similar to the classic Ghost Riders. He's just got a bit more of an interesting background than either of the predecessors. And he's still got some connection with them, but he's not directly tied, which frees him from a lot of weird continuity stuff. Yeah, you can cut out a lot of the backstory you don't need. And it's a cool thing to add to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which has always been kind of like the X-Files meets these law procedurals. Like, they've always had sort of a science-y explanation right. for all the superhero things. Now it's like, listen, this guy is possessed by a ghost. <laughs> yeah. There's no way around that. It doesn't matter what technology is involved. <laughs> I, whatever. It's a cool thing to add because the Marvel Universe has always had, you know, it's always had Thor, for yeah. God's sake. There's always been a layer of disbelief that you pass because it's comic book stuff. And if I always felt that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. felt kind of weird because it was trying to make like a very realistic approach to this bizarre universe. Ghost Rider, I think, is a perfect direction to take it. Like, they're just add in this bizarre element to shake everything up. It, yeah. it, it looks really cool. I gotta say, I, I haven't watched much Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since it started. I watched a few episodes that sort of didn't hold my attention as much as some of these other shows, so it fell by the wayside. But watching some clips of Ghost Rider in action, it looked really good. And yeah, right, compared to those horrible Ghost Rider movies, like the effects are great, especially yeah. for a TV show. Yeah, and I'm not just talking about the effects. I mean, like the camera angles, like every the production values look great like it, it you could have told me it came from one of the big screen movies and i would have believed you it looked really good it definitely looks like something that would bring me back to the show which yeah. i think is kind of what something the producers are dealing with like you said the big hits that are on television right now are not the marvel shows right it's definitely the flash and arrow and even gotham and marvel has their hits but they're on netflix yeah and this sort of like their ghost rider take 
seems like it could almost fit into that universe as well as it does with Agents of Shield. So it's it's a nice bridge. It feels like they've sort of learned some lessons from those Netflix shows and they're bringing them to Agents of Shield. Which is interesting because then like, is it that they want to take this stuff from Netflix and reapply it to TV? Like my impression has always been that TV is sort of waning. Right. Like, I mean, like, the traditional, like, cable broadcast yeah, thing. watch it every week. Yeah, yeah, Netflix seems like the place to go. But I guess, you know, the folks involved with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, they're all in. This is, uh, this is Jed Whedon, I yeah. think? Yeah, Jaws's younger brother and uh, Jed's wife, they sh- they run the show together. And it's kind of the Luigi of the, <laughs> of the universe. Uh, don't get me wrong, talented guy, can jump very high, but, you know... Feels <laughs> like we wouldn't have heard about him if he didn't have the uh, uh, interesting last name. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I, I, I might check it out. I'll probably watch a bit more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., see how this turns out. Uh, in the meantime, shall we move on to number four? Speaking of the Whedons. Right. So, Joss Whedon... He's a geek god. Yeah, we all, yeah, he's Joss Whedon. You've heard of him if you're listening to this show. <laughs> he hasn't been around much lately. Yeah, he did uh, Avengers 2 and then just sort of fell off the radar. Yeah, I think he, I think he came out and said like he was getting pretty tired. I yeah. think those are big budget productions. Um, he's back... Not in the way you'd expect. Um, what he's done is he's formed a political action committee, a super PAC down in the States, which, for those of you who like us who aren't American, <laughs> basically is an independent group that doesn't directly work with political candidates, but raises money and promotes messages, you know, not coordinated with a political candidate, but... Wink, wink. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they- um, it's no secret that they're go- they have a big election coming up down there. And Whedon has decided to form this committee, and he is bringing in all these actors to help spread his message. The Avengers are there, Nathan Fillion is there, Neil Patrick Harris is there. James Franco, uh, Julianne Moore, like everyone you can think of. Yeah, and they're making these videos. Hmm. Whedon is posing it as saying that it's about about getting out the vote, essentially. His quote is... It's not about it's not about attacking because Donnie's real good at attacking himself. He said not attacking Donald Trump and infantilizing his name as an attack. Um, Whedon says it's about getting people to vote because it's frightening the apathy that people are treating the most crucial elections of their lifetimes with. And yeah, you know, but a lot of the it's not just an American thing. But speaking of the American, like they they don't the, vote, the voting rates aren't high. I mean, I don't are they high? Anywhere in the developed world? Probably not as high as we'd like. Right. Um, But he's saying that the whole point of this is to get out the vote. Um, The actual message seems a little less... Subtle. Subtle. (laughs) So they have these videos. They have all these famous people talking over each other, finishing each other's sentences. It's very well produced. It's actually really funny. Yeah. Um, It's sort of almost a parody of other videos in this fashion. They, They... are very self-aware of the style that they're going for, which adds some comedy to it. Yeah. Well, but is it still a parody if it's creating this direct message? Like, and remember, this is about, like, this has nothing to do with attacking one candidate or another. This is about getting out the vote. This is a quote from the video. <laughs> the only way to get this many famous people together if the, is if the issue is one that truly matters to all of us a disease or an ecological crisis or a racist, abusive coward who could permanently damage the fabric of our society, do we want to give nuclear weapons to a person whose signature move is firing things? Hey, that could be about anyone, Jesse. I think you're reading into it too much. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Listen, to be clear, Geek Top 5's official position on the American election is that it's the American election. It's not in the country we're in. There's nothing we can do to affect it. It's kind of not of our business, you know. It's like there's there's no, like I, we're trying not to get emotionally invested in it because there's nothing we can do about it. Sometimes it rains, um, but it's a very touchy issue with a lot of people. Passions are running very high. It seems like it's very difficult to find a middle ground with folks who like, it's you have to be A or B, and Whedon has is coming out and using his star power to. You know, go to pick a side, and it's touchy if that's okay. I don't know. I, I think he can, any any star can do whatever they want. I mean, Donald Trump has Scott Baio, Hillary Clinton now has Joss Whedon. Uh, they're using whatever they have when they, if it's an issue that they think is important, and I don't think you can begrudge them doing that. Certainly not. 
Uh, it may hurt their popularity with certain segments of the population who disagree with that message. But I, I don't know. Ultimately, I think we need to separate uh, the art from the artist, if you will. Like, I don't think this is going to stop me from seeing any Joss Whedon stuff. Not that I necessarily disagree with the message of this, but I, I don't think it's going to impact my vision of what he's... Uh, of his uh, other projects. I imagine a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah. That, you know, what, like, whether or not The Avengers is a good movie is in no way affected by the political views of the actors who represent the characters in them. But at the same time, you know, of the, you know, of the people who are involved in this, Tony Stark happens to be there. You know, the, like, and of course, it's not Tony Stark. It's right. Robert Downey Jr. But the fact that he's there with the Black Widow and with War Machine and with like, he's very clearly drawing on this ensemble group, which just bugs me. And Why does it bug you though? Because I mean, is it, it does it genuinely come as a surprise to you that they these people are supportive of the message? Like, no, it isn't. And like you, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not necessarily against what he's saying. That's, um, I don't necessarily disagree with that quote. But those characters, I just, I prefer them to be fighting aliens. And again, it's not the characters, it's the actors. Right. And that's a separation I need to make, I suppose. But the fact that these specific actors are all together is obviously meant to invoke the characters, which feels cynical to me. It feels like it's meant to invoke these heroes against this character who, by just by association that the heroes are against him, casts him as a villain in a cinematic sense. And just, it feels really touchy to me. I, 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 it makes me very uncomfortable. See, I hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe I'm like, I, I watch so many movies, it's hard for me to associate these any of these actors with one role, you know? I see them, I don't see Tony Stark, I see Robert Downey Jr., I see Charlie Chaplin, I see but, all the people But when you see Robert them. Downey Jr. with Mark Ruffalo, with Scarlett Johansson, with Don Cheadle... I hear what you're saying, but I also... I feel like I know that they all worked with Joss Whedon on Avengers 1 and 2. They're probably friends with him. I'm not necessarily, personally anyway, connecting it with their, their characters. But I, now that you mention it, I can see what you mean. I can see how, how that might have... Uh, appear to someone else. I can I can definitely see that, and I hear you. That that doesn't sound great. Like I don't think that Marvel would necessarily be thrilled with the the connotations of this. Right. But they aren't playing the characters, like you said. They're playing themselves, and I think that is. I don't know. I think that's the the best we can hope for in this. Like we can't. You can't shut them up from saying this. And like, you shouldn't. You yeah. absolutely shouldn't. And if they all happen to agree with it, and yet they all also happen to be Avengers, I don't know if there's anything you can do about that. Maybe not, but just because there's nothing I can do about it doesn't mean it can't make me just feel slimy. Right. You know, I hmm. did, it makes me feel like I want to shower. Um, but because a part of me doesn't want to acknowledge that there's these big issues and... Yeah, it seems it's so much easier when it's just a supervillain, when it's Thanos, yeah. than when it's serious political issues. In any case, if you want to look into this yourself, their organization, their pack is uh, Save, the, uh, Save the Day. They have a website at savetheday.vote. You can go take a look. Whether or not you're interested in the politics, it is a funny video, and mm. it's all the people we like to see from yeah. geek culture. If nothing else, try to cut the politics out of it and just watch it for these actors, because they're funny people. It's yeah. cool to see. Moving on to number three. Uh, man, a lot of TV news. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a golden age of TV all over again. Uh, yeah, very, very literally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we always talk about Star Trek on this show, because it's the best. Unoffic it sort of had an unofficial competitor back in the day, yeah. which was Lost in Space. I, it's amazing that the late 60s seemed like, on TV anyway, almost comparable to TV now, where there was so much interesting sci-fi on around the same time we had star trek we had lost in space we had twilight zone batman all on tv within the same like three or four year span mission impossible has some sci-fi elements to it as well that was on around the same time it good was, stuff it was the golden age and the golden age today basically just seems to be polishing off the golden age of the past which is <laughs> a common sci-fi trope in itself so right. that's pretty meta actually <laughs> um listen lost in space is coming back 
It um it was originally in '65, I think. It was based on a comic, the was it, the Space Family Robinson from '62. I this don't is... think. I mean, I, I don't think it was officially based on that. It was one of those things where there's a lot of Space Family Robinson stuff in the air at the same time, and who copied who about what and yeah. lawsuits or there, there was some legal issues. Yeah. Um, but essentially, this is you know if you've ever heard Danger Will Robinson and you've seen the robot with the claws and the flat top, that's this show. Yeah. Um, Netflix is bringing it back, because why not? We're bringing everything else back. This is bizarre to me. I mean, again, because as a loyal Star Trek fan, I'm sort of antagonistic to Lost in Space. Really? Um, I didn't know that. It's, you know, if I, I, cause it's one of those things that you get involved in these console wars arguments. Do you like Star Trek or Star Wars? Back in the day, like, do you like Star Trek or Lost in Space? Right. Um... Lost in Space was much more of a storytelling show, I guess. And it was more campy and... Well, I mean, there were some episodes of the original Star Trek that were pretty... True enough, true <laughs> enough. Spock's brain comes to mind. Uh, but I think at the time, anyway, there was a, a sort of like, Star Trek is closer, anyway, to hard sci-fi, and Lost in Space is more of a kid's show, and, and it yeah, shouldn't be I taken think, seriously. I think people would have described Star Trek as more philosophical. Sure. In a way. Um, but it, it aired, it had a few years, I think it had 83 episodes before it got cancelled. It got a horrible movie remake in 1998. Yeah. Uh, the less said about that, the better. <laughs> That's, don't worry about that. And now Netflix is bringing it back. And I'm not sure what they want to do with it. This is what I find interesting. Um, the quote attached to this, it's going to be about this family battling strange new alien environments and their own personal demons. It's a survival story for the ages, and it's supposed to be really true to the original. That's not what the original was about. No. All my memories of the original Lost in Space were about Dr. Smith yelling at the robot. Yeah. That was, he was the most popular character on the show, and he was a late addition to the show. And later episodes all revolved, like, just... Yeah. All revolved around him. Yeah. He never was in the, the full cast list. Every single episode was special guest star, him. Even though he was in every episode. Mm-hmm. This is the guy, you know, oh, the pain, the pain of it all. Yeah. And he always had some, again, hilarious insults to yell at the robot. And it was like, it was almost became the show revolved around the two of them. And then this happy mid-American family who were lost in space. Yeah. Didn't actually get out into space much because the ship was crashed, but... And, yeah. And the ship crashed because Dr. Smith was on board when he wasn't supposed to be. Oh, he was a saboteur. Yeah. yeah. Like he was yeah. sort of the bad guy in that and campy that... kids show. Right. <laughs> and it, when they did the movie uh, in the 90s, it was uh, treated much more seriously. Like, in the later episodes of the, the series, you would never know that he was some sort of agent provoca- pro- provocateur. provocateur. He was never shown to be any sort of mastermind saboteur. He was just sort of a jerk. And yeah, he was the mean guy, the, like the mean uncle. Yeah, and uh, but in the movie, it's like Gary Oldman, and he's like really trying to screw up this this ship launch. And it, uh, man, the movie right, there's all this right. time travel and spider mutating. It doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> Ignore the movie. Trust me on this one. The show has that camp factor. If you've never seen it, you can go back to enjoy it. But Netflix is bringing it back, and it sounds like they're making a really gritty drama out of it yeah which i guess is the the way everything goes these days but it would have been nice to see a a sci-fi series that didn't take itself that seriously that could be a bit of fun but definitely doesn't seem to be the case right now the the two writers that are on board who are working on this are uh, the guys behind dracula untold the luke evans which I didn't. I thought it could have been it, a lot worse. It, yeah, it wasn't brutal, right? Uh, it was also liberally lifted from Castlevania: Lords of Shadow. <laughs> Just saying. So they've started casting it. That's what the the real big news was that brought this to our attention. There's uh, Toby Stevens, who's the son of Dame Maggie Smith. He's uh, he's a, sort of an action guy. He he was in a TV series called Black Sails, which is like this grim and gritty pirate uh, TV show. And he was also probably best known as the villain from, uh, I think it was Pierce Brosnan's last Bond movie, Die Another Day. So he's going to be playing the dad. They've also cast two relative unknowns as the children. But the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, Toby Stevens, British actor, very white. The 
kid who's playing Will Robinson, also very white. The daughter is, uh, I believe, is a mixed race, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic yeah, plays she out. She could be adopted. She could be, and that's space that would adopted. be <laughs> space adopted. But it's it's again a nice bit of progressive casting and a lot to an interesting uh, storytelling angle that wasn't there in the original, which was like the whitest of white shows. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm something sort of... else. Star Trek did better. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> So I'm excited to see how how it plays out. Number two, uh, September 20th saw the release of Rise of Iron, the final expansion for the video game Destiny. Destiny is the latest project from Bungie. It's a video game studio, very fan-friendly video game studio. They're probably best known for the Halo games. I mean, everyone's heard of the Halo games. Um, Before that, they made Myth, they made Marathon, also very good, but Halo with the big green Master Chief and all the space armor, that's what they were known for. The studio sort of split, and some of that went to Microsoft, who sort of bought the Halo license and have made it their flagship. The rest of Bungie went off to do their own thing. And they've been hinting at this game as early as 2009. Originally, it came out in 2014. It is a first-person shooter. It's described as a mythic science fiction world, where there's, there's guys in space armor and aliens and laser guns, but there's also a magical light and a magical darkness that represent the forces of good and evil. Now this was, in some ways, it was like the the original No Man's Sky, and that it didn't quite live up to the hype that was presented for it. Right? It, it ran in, into a. Like, it was definitely marketed as a triple A game. It was going to take over the world. It didn't quite make it. Uh, we found out eventually about a year before release. Senior management took a look at this game and didn't like the direction it was going, and they fired a bunch of writers, they reorganized the game, they decided they were going to make it a lot less linear, a lot more open, and they literally like cut up chunks of the game and reorganized it. Hmm. The result was that when it originally came out, it had, didn't have much to do, it was a fun system, like these are guys who made Halo, they know how to make a shooter game. But the story didn't make any sense. It was very disjointed. There wasn't a lot of like things to go back to, to enjoy. It Basically, it didn't quite hit that AAA level. And that's a big deal for video game companies these days. A lot of times, like, these guys get promised bonuses based on Metacritic scores. Ah. Destiny didn't quite get hit. I think it was a 75 out of 100 on Metacritic. They missed out on this huge million-dollar bonus. Um, since 2014, they've been releasing more and more content for the game. They've been adding more features, adding more stuff, adding more story and addressing that. Having a major character cast as Nathan Fillion really helped with that. That always helps. Yep. Good God, Nathan Fillion from uh, Firefly and Castle. And really, who was all over one of the more recent Destiny expansions. But anyway, they finally released the last part of it. So this game is now finally out and finished. And they're saying, this is what we wanted. So it, does that mean that... it? They are released in a completely incomplete game, and it's taken four expansion packs to make it complete? If you ask them, they say no. Okay. <laughs> if you judge it objectively, kinda. <laughs> like, the early content of Destiny... I mean, part, part of the deal is that this is a looter shooter, um, which means it has those shooting elements, but the loot is sort of a more hardcore gamer's equivalent of what you think of as casual gaming... Like, from iPhones and stuff. This is like the Farmville of shooting, but instead of farming, you know, better stuff for your farm, what you're farming is better equipment and better guns and cooler capes. So what I think of is Borderlands, where you kill people and they drop a gun and it's it's sort of, there's a certain random element to it. Like, you don't know what you're going to get. No, but chances are it's, in some way or another, it's slightly better than the one you already have. Right. And so you switch to that one. And because it's a little better, now you can fight a slightly stronger enemy who will drop a slightly better gun and rinse and repeat. Right. And in Borderlands, the more people you're playing with uh, in a multiplayer level, the, the better the loot is going to be. Is that the same with Destiny? Well, yes and no. It, um, it's, it's, it's a very class-based game. Um, a, anyone who's played shooter games in a while are familiar with this, but players can play their characters differently in ways that complement each other. And there are certain elements of the game, there are certain missions that essentially require three to six players Hmm. working in concert to accomplish the best stuff, to get the best stuff. Rise of Iron adds more story content, it adds more gear, it raises sort of the ceiling of how cool gear you can get, so there's a reason to keep going through that repeated grind, and it puts the capstone, and this is the end of Destiny, and the next thing we're going to do is Destiny 2. Game is very controversial. Because of that initial bad release, a lot of people jumped on it, 
didn't like it and moved off, and it's sort of become criticized, like No Man's Sky, for not delivering what it's promised. On the other hand, its player base has never really foundered, and it's still making tons of money. And there's not a lot of microtransactions in it. Just hmm. interesting. Like, they're certainly there, but they're only cosmetic. They don't affect gameplay. That's good. Yeah. That's sort of a rarity in a lot of games these days. Absolutely. Um, and the, the servers are always busy. There's always lots of people playing. So as much as people debate whether or not it's any good, a lot of it has a consistent fan base. So you were a bit of a, a late adopter of the game, right? Like You only came to it relatively it's true. recently. I came in with year two with the with the last expansion, with the Taken King expansion, the, the one where Nathan Fillion got right. added. Might be a coincidence, might not. <laughs> so do you think you would have, uh, if you had gotten it on launch day, on release, do you think it could have held your interest this long? No, see, I played it on launch, like, not on launch day, but I played it fairly early, and I said, yeah, it's fun, but I'm doing other stuff right now. I'm not that into it. Mm. Um, a friend of ours, Jonathan Steven, a frequent appear on, you know, frequent guest spot on guest Geek Top 5, told me, like, listen, this new expansion's out, there's a lot more story, there's a lot more cool stuff to do, come on and try it with me. And he got me back into it. And then he immediately left and went to do something else, and now I'm playing it by myself. <laughs> but you're not better. <laughs> but I'm not better. <laughs> um, if you ever played it before, and you've jumped off, Rise of Iron's pretty good. We should, you should give it a try. If you haven't played it before, the game is now finished and complete, and they have a complete Destiny collection you can buy. If you're into shooters, and if you're into shared experience, it's worth picking up. It's a lot of fun. Number one. Mr. Stan Lee is getting his own movie. Not a cameo, not something based on one of his works, but a movie about him. But there's right. a catch. Yeah, explain this catch to me. Because my understanding <laughs> was that Stan Lee grew up, he started writing comic books. Eventually, he Pretty wrote, young, too. He was writing comic yeah, books. Like 18 or something. Yeah. Eventually, he wrote The Fantastic Four. And then Marvel started, and he wrote all the other Marvel characters, and he made it big, and now he's a success. And that's basically his life story. Yeah, yeah. He, he created the Marvel Universe that we know and love throughout most of the 60s. He started, he was still editor-in-chief in most of the 70s, but he started to pull back his responsibilities and start working more on getting movie deals and maybe working on his own stuff. But for the rest of the 70s, 80s, 90s, he was a big figurehead of Marvel. He was still sort of involved in the creative stuff. More recently, he's he's still, like, the the face of Marvel, but he's not directly involved in anything. He's got his own companies. But this series is about none of that. Yeah, that's that's not what this is about. So it's, it's going to be an action-adventure thing in the vein of uh, that movie that came out a couple years ago, The Kingsman, with um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Colin... Uh, Colin Firth. And uh, Taron Egerton, I think his name is. And it's like, you know, a real campy spy fiction thing. So that's what they're going for with... So they're making a spy fiction movie... With Stan Lee. With Stan Lee as the character. Yeah. Not himself, but like, like he's not going to be playing himself. Right. But there'll be some hot young actor playing Stan Lee who writes comics in the daytime and is like a secret agent by night? I guess. But here's the interesting thing. You say hot young actor. The first thing that occurred to me about this is that today, in 2016, Stan Lee is in his early 90s. Yeah. So, going back to the 70s, which was, what, 40 years ago now? He's in his 50s. <laughs> this is going to be a 50-year-old Stan Lee action hero. So, it's kind of more of a Sean Connery thing than a, than a Colin Firth thing. Uh, well, I mean, that it's going to be interesting to see how they pull it off. Cause... Do we know, and sorry, if yeah. maybe you had this was coming as we were going, do we know why they're doing this? <laughs> Why are they making a spy movie starring super spy Stan Lee? I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I'm i not complaining, though. I mean, it sounds awesome. It's going to get me into the theater. He's like the only comic book writer who is world famous. You know? People wait for his cameos in the Marvel movies. But being a famous comic book writer, what studio executive said, let's make a movie about that. Oh, but he's also a spy. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they thought, we need to do a Stan Lee uh, biopic. We do biopics about everyone. He's got, a, 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 must have had an interesting life. And then they started looking at it and were like, no, not that interesting. Not at all. <laughs> and then added a spy <laughs> element to it. <laughs> but that most people, that would be your cue not to make the movie. Maybe they were like, why... we've got these people developing a Stan Lee movie and it's not going so well. And we've got these people making a campy spy movie, but there's no hook to it. 
Let's put them together. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, this movie absolutely requires like each of the Avengers actors to make a brief cameo <laughs> and then walk out. <laughs> I, I would uh, I would support that. Um, otherwise, this just seems bananas. I, it seems like things have finally gotten out of control. I feel like this may have been may have stemmed from a fake movie poster that went around uh, a few months ago that was like a, a fake movie poster for a Stan Lee biopic with Brian Cranston sort of photoshopped to look like Stan Lee. And they were like, well, this is, has gone viral. We should try and actually make this. Which I understand because, I mean, listen, we don't, we don't want to talk about this on the podcast. It's a very difficult topic. Please, I don't want to hear this. But when Stan Lee passes away... No, no. I'm covering my ears. His life story will be very important and very popular, and everyone will go see it, even if there's not that much to it. So if you want to hang on to the rights to that and get on top of it, I, I understand where you're coming from. How dare you put this cynical spin on this delightful story? That was something I hadn't even considered. You heartless monster. As a po- but just... Heartless! <laughs> and it's more reasonable just to assume, oh yeah, Stan Lee, and make him a secret agent. That That's Occam's razor? That's the more reasonable thing to do here? It's happier for me, because it means that people... It's happier for me, too. <laughs> Listen, I like him, too. But I just... I'm reasonable enough to know that this movie idea is so far out of left field, it's not even in the stadium anymore. It's in the parking lot seeing if there's still a ticket for sale from a scalper. This is a lunatic idea. This absolute, like, I, I just, I'm drowning in my own confusion. I can't figure out how would this movie have anything to do with anything. In any case, we'll be right on top of that. We'll let you know as soon as we hear anything. In the meantime, we've got our special guest segment coming up, so stay tuned. You're listening to Geek Top 5. Be right back. Welcome back to Geek Top 5. This week, we're joined by Mr. Tim Clark, and he's got a very interesting list of the top five Transformers, but not necessarily any Transformers that, you, uh, that immediately jump to mind. Tim, why don't you uh, introduce your list for us and yourself? Uh, I'm Tim Clark, um, Transformer geek connoisseur, I guess. I kind of wanted to, for your top five, wanted something different to run with. Uh, Nothing from the old school generation one style of cartoon characters. Not even the main ones such as Optimus Prime or Megatron or Soundwave. Someone, sort of the different ones. The ones that I think that need to be named and and sort of like shown and and sort of given some some of the light that's out there from, from... uh, from Transformers. So I was looking at the top five from Transformers Prime. So to be clear, Generation 1, it was like the cartoon comic books from the, the get-go, when the series first started, when That's we first correct. heard about right. Transformers. Oh, yeah. And there have been so many different versions over the years, and they've all got different names and stuff. But this is specifically from Transformers Prime, which is a cartoon that ran from about 2010 to 2013. And uh, so, yeah, let's let's go into it. What's right. uh, What do we got at number five? Number five, I got two characters that are actually brothers. It's Dreadwing and Skyquake. Uh, the reason why I chose them is that for Skyquake, he gets introduced pretty early on. Starscream is trying to get him up, trying to create his minions that are going to go up against Megatron so that he can overtake them in normal, typical Starscream fashion. Unfortunately, when it comes to Starscream, his plans never go according to plan. Okay. Yeah, as I say, typical Starscream fashion, he screws it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Starscream's like second in command usually to uh, Megatron. who They're both the baddest of the bad guys in Transformers. Well, Megatron is Megatron the is the, is the nemesis. Starscream is this whiny, yeah, <laughs> he's this whiny individual that always goes, you know, you know, Megatron, you're terrible, right? You don't know what you're doing, and then he just does, and it's just he 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 just really doesn't know what he's doing either, and so he's he's in great because Starscream has that deviousness to him, but he just doesn't know how to fully come to fruition, whereas Megatron's got the plan. And so, uh, but with Skyquake, Skyquake was, he was, he was introduced early in the season. He comes out, essentially uh, released from cryostasis, so to speak, and Starscream is trying to command him, and, and, and he essentially, he, he can't. And so Optimus shows up and says to, says to Skyquake, come join with me, and Skyquake's like, no, I don't like you guys. <laughs> And so a big battle you know, ensues, and at which point then uh, Skyquake uh, is taken out. He basically he's, he gets killed off in the show. So he's, he's there for like, he's like a one, one episode, and it's that we'll never see him again. 
but then later on in the seasons, uh, we actually then, um, once the um, Decepticons get their hands on something called Dark Energon, it actually brings to life any robot that has died, has perished, but it makes them psychotic and evil, more evil than Starscream or Megatron is. And so he tests it out on Skyquake. And then Skyquake pretty much now is now almost indestructible. They order up a time portal out, and then he essentially gets thrown into it. And so while all this is happening on Earth, Dreadwing is up in the universe flying along and gets a signal that his, his brother is now awakened. And so he flies down to Earth. And he joins up with uh, Megatron and the Decepticons. And when he does that, he essentially, he, he, he has a code, right? An honor, a warrior's code. Right. And so throughout the whole season as he's there, he, he, he's under the illusion that, you know, that the Autobots had killed Skyquake and not Starscream. And when he finds out that Starscream was the one that actually just killed his brother, he gives up. He, he, does, he renounces his, his, his um, loyalty to the Decepticons and Megatron. And he's about to kill Starscream. And, you know, because Starscream has more fan base, <laughs> you know, they kill off. They kill off Dreadwing, yeah. right? He gets unfortunately stabbed in the back by, uh, by, by Megatron. Such a good scene, yeah. by the way. Because <laughs> yeah. this, this entire arc has been about Starscream just really ticking off Megatron. He's been exiled for a while. And, like, why would you possibly pick Starscream <laughs> over Dreadwing? And it's because Megatron can control Starscream. And he demonstrably cannot control Dreadwing because he's got that whole honor thing. Yeah. Which is okay. great. Yeah. So, so is it that honor that makes him a, a character that makes him more interesting to you? The fact that he's got a code and he's not just, a, you know, a two-dimensional villain? I think so. I think that's what was made. The, even the two, the dynamics of them is that, like with Dreadwing, he, was, he had that code, a warrior's code. A code of, you know, he's honoring, you know, his leader in a sense. And whereas, you know, he, didn't, he couldn't, even when Optimus says, you know, says, please join us. Like, join us. We will make this world better. We'll make things better. And Dreadwing's like, no. Hmm. No, I don't follow your mythos. I don't like you guys. No, I'll leave you alone. But I, I no, I gotta go kill someone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which he does pretty well. Like that's another thing we see throughout the series. He's constantly like almost winning these fights. Like it's a kid's cartoon. Very yeah. rarely does someone get blown up. But he fights Optimus to a standstill a lot. Wow. Yeah, you know he fights Wheeljack to a standstill yeah. a lot. Like there's a lot. Of, like he's tough. He's cool. He's always got bombs. Yeah. That's okay. his big thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So do we want to move on to yeah. uh, number four? All right, now number four. So um, I was going to put down Breakdown because I actually really like the character Breakdown and his interaction with Bulkhead. But what won me over in this one was Knockout. Now everyone knows how Starscream is really sarcastic and he's you know very pessimistic, very cynicism, and he, he you know he pretty much is a schemer and stuff. Knockout is just this. He is he's great because he's the new medic for the Decepticons, but he's sarcastic. He is sassy. He's narcissistic. He's everything that almost like he's like the other version of Starscream. And what's great about him is that he he always he always had these great one-liners. He was always able to get underneath your skin. And, and as a character, like he would he would like annoy even Starscream. Annoy Starscream. That's almost impossible to do in a show. He would annoy Starscream. Like if he scratched his paint, for example, he would lose his he would lose it. He would like you hurt me. You made you know, like he because he was all narcissistic. He was he was absolutely like he would go nuts. Yeah, he's constantly right. buffing himself. Yeah, you know, with right. the wax. Oh yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. Now he's also one of the few Decepticons that turns into a car, right? Like most Decepticons turn into planes or tanks or things it, like that, right? They, traditionally, yeah. And it, generally, they've branched out into all kinds of stuff. But okay. yeah, there's a whole thing. Like he loves cars. Okay, he loves like, looking good. Yeah. Like he would be the ladies' man. Okay, you know, you know and he's just he just has that look to me. He, again, it was just how he always he was very flamboyant, and he was great too. Because even when uh, Breakdown, uh, spoiler alert, uh, gets killed in the show, <laughs> yeah. and Silas takes his over his body, when not when Knockout gets Silas and Breakdown's body, he's like, "You killed my friend. You're dead. You're now. I get to have fun with you." And he's got now he gets to play with his dead dead friend's body and Silas, this guy that's sitting inside the body and. Silas can't do anything. He's stuck in this breakdown's body. Okay. And, yeah. and knockouts just, I mean, he's an evil doctor character, yeah. right? So there's a lot of allusions to sort of torture and right. weird sharp instruments. <laughs> and like Marathon Man. Yeah, well, yeah, he just, like, he even had, I think one of his implements was he had a buzz, like a, like a, like a, like a, like almost like those medical uh, uh, blades. Like a circular saw. Or, saw. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And he had fun doing what he liked to do. So uh, here's a, a weird question for you. 
if this was a character who had been introduced in the 80s with a name like Knockout, I would expect that to be a, a female Autobot. Is that, I mean, is there any sort of like... I, I think it has more to do with like a boxing Knockout ah, okay. than like a Calendar Girl Knockout. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they choose, because when you think of their names, it was like they, they look at, they think about what they would be, right? So he could be considered a Knockout, right? Because he's, he's a flamboyant, he's narcissistic, you know, he's also, he's devious, he's sassy. I mean, he's everything. So, yeah, in the 80s, they would, it depends. Like, you know, they would probably made him this giant looking football guy. Right. right, like they would make him like this bruiser, you know, from the '80s too. So that was great about the '80s, all those weird acronyms for characters. <laughs> so, so with the, uh, all, a lot of these Transformers characters, there are multiple versions over the years. Has there been another knockout before? Or is he new for this show? I don't recall ever knowing of knockout before the show. I don't. I don't have a huge list handy. Right. Um, I know that a lot of the characters in the show. They tend to be either newer or newer incarnations. Like Skyquake and Dreadwing are sort of newer versions of the original, like the Sweeps. Or not the Sweeps. Um, Seekers? Seekers, yeah. thank you. The Seekers. Okay. So it was Starscream and he had um, Thundercracker and Skywarp. Yeah. Okay. So, so they're like sort of minor characters who for this show they've, they've given personalities and been made into, you know, more interesting yeah, now I mean, like RC is also in this show, and she's one of the old, like a Gen two character. Yeah. So they've they've gone back as well, right? But even if it's the same character, quote unquote, like it can even have the same name, but they can reinvent the character. It happens a lot. Okay. Transformers yeah. doesn't have a great shared. Yeah, they they can they do whatever they got their names. They can do Hasbro does whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so do we want to move on to number three? Or is that... Number three. Yeah. Oh, okay, so this is one of my favorite. And this is actually one of those ones where uh, he was um, he was he was great. And then once I found out it was Jeffrey Combs' voice for Ratchet, I was just like, I was like, like oh, this is really cool. I think that's what yeah. got me into the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the most villainous guys that does all these villain roles or all these horror films. So, hey, he's the voice of a, really, of a medic for the Autobots. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I think what really got me for him was, was, was the one episode at the very beginning when he's he's helping the humans and and basically all the the, the, the kids are essentially are, are having school projects and he has to help them but they're they, they, they're trying to do this themselves and he's like no no we're gonna do it right we're gonna do it perfect and so he's creating like a volcano out of all like a, a, a cybertronian volcano and it was you know plasma right and for this girl's class and it's like oh my god are you serious <laughs> ratchet's a blast yeah i mean and he's always been like the cranky old doctor character, which I, I guess like just they managed to take like, what Coombs does for the evil characters and tone it down a little. Right. But he's just so frustrated all the time, <laughs> and yep. he does it really well. For the record, uh, Jeffrey Combs is uh, a big. He's sort of a B movie actor when he's in uh, live action. He was Herbert West, the Reanimator in uh, uh, the Reanimator movies, and that's probably what he's like was originally best known for. But then he was in a ton of Deep Space Nine and Star Trek episodes as various characters, including Wayun, you may remember from an earlier episode. And he's got a great voice, just so unique and so instantly recognizable. But he can be so just, just not even evil, like in a Skeletor kind of way, but just so mean. Yeah. Well, and I think it was just because of how he was just, it was also just so down to earth with it. It was, it was just like, he was just had that voice where it was menacing, but it wasn't like over the top, like Skeletor and stuff. It was just that menacing, like you could hear the menace in the back of the voice. But for Ratchet, he he, he was able to take that and put it more of like a horror, horror, heroic mentality behind it. I mean, there was an episode where essentially he's trying to create fake energon or, or, or synthetic energon. Mm. And he takes it. And so it's like steroids for, for for robots. And so he takes it. And so it completely changes his whole out. Like he becomes egotistical. He has like tons of energy. He basically decides to um, uh, uh, go and say, I'm going to take on, I'm going to take on Megatron. I'm going to kick his ass. And you're like, okay. And so he just goes, he does it. And he gets the floor wiped from him. Right? <laughs> yeah. He just gets completely <laughs> messed up. And then he realizes, you know, he he, he he basically gets saved and he realizes, you know, I screwed up. I'm sorry, Optimus. It'll never happen again. You know, and but it was also great. It was like it was a combination of like, you know, like 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 bones from from Star Trek. Like he just he was so great. He was and his interaction. And then also not only that, but I guess what I loved about the show was that every character had a growth to them and matured like they matured over the seasons. And his was, was that he he didn't like humans. He dealt with them because he had to. 
But then at the end, he yeah. was like, you know what? I need to protect them. I need to. He had respect for all the human characters, and he wanted to like like you know work with them now and and be their you know be part of, be their protector, but at the same time be their partners. And that's what I loved about the show. Right. Have all of these characters had that progression? And so his was great because his story arc was from right from the beginning to the end, up until the end. He really he he was forced to work with them. Whereas at the end, he wanted to work with them, and he he respected all three of the kids that were working with him continuously. You know. It was a good thing to have like that in that sense that he also managed like by being like learning to be friends with the humans he sort of helped to sort of be the exposition vehicle of the show Okay. Like being the old cranky doctor, he was yep. the experienced one. He was the one who knew things. Uh, and so he occasionally, like, if we needed to tell something to the audience, you could tell it through Ratchet telling it to the human characters. Right. So which, the, the shows, uh, Transformers shows have almost always had human characters around to act as sort of like a, uh, an entry point for viewers. A lot of the time, though, they're kind of, I don't know, they're... They're sort of useless or like whiny or so. I mean, I mean that's my memory. It anyway. depends why you're going into it, but yeah, and you notice a shift over this show too, especially the first season. There's a lot of human stuff, um, like there's yeah. a, there's a, like, like you know Jack has girlfriend problems. That, yeah. kind of, that eventually gets toned down, but it works in a way because of the character development where the human characters become part of the team mm. and they can do things that Transformers yeah. can't. So there was a uh, there was a part in, in the through the seasons as as Ratchet was helping them and stuff and this, the females I forget what the female character's name was unfortunately. Uh, Miko. Miko. So Miko she was the one that always hung around with Bulkhead because she always liked to you know she, she would kick ass and take names and she was this great character and she wouldn't she was kind of like like she would you know like like just she would just go into it without like thinking about the dangers and stuff and so they kind of it was great because I think it was either I think it was in season two or halfway through season three they get they get their hands on this soup this this set of super armor and the super armor pretty much makes you indestructible while you're inside of it so Starscream has has it for a while and then he gets phase shifted out of it from smokescreen and then he then she gets her hands on it and so now she's the owner of this 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 set of this this giant set of armor and she starts going to town on so Starscream is, is right? Miko a human she's a human and so this is armor that auto or Transformers and humans can wear. Yes, okay. yes, that's how awesome the show is. <laughs> All right, right, cool. It is, and it's just it, it was so great to see how she basically she she progressed. Right, her character realized that she couldn't just fly from the seat of the pants. She had to think things through, you know. And it was, she was great because every, they had the three characters, and I mean, you know, and and seeing the progression of those humans, and then not only that, but then their interaction with Ratchet because Ratchet was the one that was causing the most like angst in the group, right? Because they had their protectors. So uh, Bumblebee protected the young one. I forget what his name is. Uh, yeah, um, ah, it's a Spanish name. Raf. 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 Miko was protected by Bulkhead, and RC protected Jack. Right, and so that was really great. And then, sort of, Ratchet had no one really, so he, he didn't was, want him. He didn't want him. He just, you know, he was like, "Get off my lawn," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what he would say all the time, right? And so it was really good seeing that with the characters. And that's what I love about with, with the Autobots and the Decepticons is there was always a progression of the characters. They always moved forward with their characters. They weren't just stuck in their atypical standard. You know, Starscream was always doing Starscream stuff. It was, no, he kind of actually started to think more and try to plot and, you know, do more devious things that he wanted to be the next Megatron, right? So that was really good about it, you know. We should move on. I just want to mention, though, before, just really quickly, my favorite Ratchet moment in the entire show. I just, the end of season two, they like, they have a thing that's going to bring Cybertron back, but Megatron's got it and he's going to use it to, like, cyber, like, you know, cyberize Earth instead. So Optimus blows it up to save Earth. And Ratchet loses it. And it is such a wonderful performance by Jeffrey Coombs. He says, Optimus, like, we've been trying to save our home planet for millions of years. And I know you want to protect these humans, but that, that, was, that was our planet. That was our home. That was our people. What have yeah. you done? What are we going to do? It's, yeah. And it's a really dark moment in the show. Like, this is the, you know, the part of the writing act where everyone's stuck up the tree. Yeah. Yeah. But Coombs... Wonderful. Yeah. It's like really like for a kid's cartoon, incredible yeah. performance. Yeah. So just, before we go on, I just want to know if you guys want to talk at all about comparing him to previous versions of Ratchet. Uh, he, from even from Generation One, because I I remember him from Generation One. Generation One, he was a little bit more friendly. They they made him much more uh, peaceful. Uh, definitely, like he would fight when he had to fight, but he pretty much they kind of just stuck him inside the arc thing, and that was it. That was his character. He really didn't do much. Okay, right? he was in sick bay. Could, yeah, he was in sick bay all the time. Right. And it was. I mean, was I, I'm sure there's some episodes. I'm sure there's some episodes where he was much more heroic, and they had some other cartoons. I just can't recall them right now. But 
you know, this one, they gave him much more to do, right? He was still stuck in sickbay, but he still had things to do. And they gave him a story arc. They gave him the whole part about trying to save unit, save Cybertron. So, yeah, so I think this one, they actually really made his character even further matured and stuff, which I loved about it. So, All right. number two? Yeah, let's All do right, number, number two. two. All right, so number two um, is RC. I have to say RC. It was just a tough one for me. Um, the reason why I chose RC was because I think, uh, again, she's one of the characters from the beginning of the show. She started out being an angry warrior, her, her friend, her teammate, maybe lover. I don't know in the cartoon. I'm not sure. It it, it's hard to interpret what yeah. merits a lover when you're dealing with robots. <laughs> I know, we I don't... know, I know. It was kind of weird, but she yeah. had a really good close uh, with Cliff Jumper, right? It, uh, Cliff, we find Cliff Jumper in the first episode, and we find out it was Tailgate before that. Oh, like okay. She's lost two people now. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, so she lost two people. So she basically, so she loses her partners, and so she's very like she she doesn't want to do and she wants to be that like like um, uh, a lone warrior, like a lone warrior. She wants she works within the group, but she wants to be alone all the time because every time she she cares about somebody or cares about about a partner, they get killed. And then she has this whole thing where she's trying to like she gets very overprotective of Jack, and then she essentially. You know, she kind of goes a little overboard, and then Jack says, "No, no, you need to tone this down." And then she sort of she realizes that now, you know what? She's you know Jack's her partner, even though he's a human, he's her partner now. And then they 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 go off and they 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 are doing some great things, but she's also she does some totally awesome things in the show, right? She she she. I mean, she kicks ass. And that's what I loved yeah, about the she's, character. She's a motorcycle know? that turns into a robot ninja. Yeah, <laughs> like that's she's fast and yeah. quick and like all the like the future karate. Exactly. I think it's also because also when then when we get to the points where she has to fight against Arachnid, that's when I liked it because then she here's you have a have a spider character going up against a character with a motorcycle and Arachnid was kind of oh Arachnid was great because she I would consider her like almost like the female like she's she's like the female version of Starscream slash Megatron. She had all those qualities of both those evil guys into one and she was just great and seeing her go up against RC was awesome because RC and her would have these fights and they were great to watch because in a sense you know RC was more of like run and gun shoot all the time Arachnid was more of the thinker the more of the think fighter and she would and she would also toy with it she was a spider in the, in the cartoon she was a spider so she liked to toy with her food in a sense so she toyed with RC she toyed with all of them right and so yeah so it was really interesting to see what happened in, in that show and RC just again RC just totally kick ass I have an action figure of her I actually love the action figure of her because it was just so cool it, the visual design of the character is actually yeah. really cool. It's, it's a big step up from the original RC, which is basically just a giant pink transformer with no other accoutrements. Yeah, it was like like this was the girl, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. No, they really fleshed her out and made her her own character. In yeah. this. So honestly, I, I mean, was she introduced in the original Transformers movie, like the cartoon yeah, movie? Yeah, she was. She was. She was the. She was in uh, the cartoon movie. So when you watch that, and she was the one that was with Springer and Ultra Magnus and the Junkions and stuff. So she was right there, right? <laughs> so she's was she like the token female Transformer for uh, to start with anyway? Oh, for a while. Yeah. 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 So they, they've introduced some other ones as well, but she was the main one. Right? Okay. She, she started it out. But then they, they've introduced Windblade now in the comic books. They've done a full bunch of other female characters yeah. as Victorian well. Victorian. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's so, awesome. Yeah. All right. The female yeah. combiner. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Messes with Optimus. Very, yeah. But, but yeah, but our, <laughs> anyway, we, on yeah. a tangent. But yeah, yeah. Our, RC's great and that arc, her development of who she is, and it really, like, it's the Jack is kind of the like the star of the humans. Yeah. And so his relationship with RC comes through a lot. It's in the episodes a lot. And seeing that arc go from episode one to the last one, it's it's very emotional. You get really attached to this character. It's really cool what they did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because again, because they did they did the introduction and how they uh, how they they did. The characters again, like the humans, they when they started out with the this, this, the show, it felt really kiddy. It didn't feel like it was meant for. It wasn't meant for us. It was meant for a younger audience. And then, but as you went through the seasons, and when you got through season one stuff, you could see the progression of the characters. And they did. They matured the the relationship between uh, RC and Jack, and it got really good because it got mature. It got like you know, you're my friend, you're my protector, you're my friend, you're my partner. And they and it was really really great about those characters, you know. And so it was awesome to see. You know, and enjoy, and you just enjoy that ride. All right. Well, do we want to uh, move ahead to your number one? Your number one Transformers Prime character. Yeah. All right. My number one Transformers Prime character. Okay. So I think this is probably going to get debatable, and I think people are going to think I'm a little crazy when I say this. <laughs> but I chose this one because I think it was a great way of introducing a character that I really don't think was really that much in the Generation One cartoon. Uh, or Generation 2. I don't even recall seeing that that many episodes with him. And then when I do, they were just very quick, like, 
episodes, like one episode or two episodes throughout the seasons. So I don't recall. Um, I liked how they introduced him as, uh, you know, as, as the new soldier to join Team Prime. I liked how they made his character, you know, again, progress and, and change, but also be the fact that they gave him the one opportunity that you kind of hoped that they would do, and then they didn't do it, and it was just kind of like... But that's exactly oh. why I don't like this character. I, uh, all right, so, all right, hold on. What's the opportunity here? Well, hang on. So right. the character is Smokescreen. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's because we haven't named him yet, and we're doing this big build-up. It's like a WWE thing. <laughs> it is Smokescreen. I chose Smokescreen because out of all of the other characters, I felt that he was such a great introduction to the show. Because he... Because they made... Okay, the first thing was they made Bumblebee... They didn't make him speak. So and that was that was a development that started with the the Michael Bay movie. Yes, yeah, movie, yeah, but so it tests annoying. really well, so they do it all the time now, all okay. over the place. So I I didn't I didn't like so I, a I, I'm not a real big fan of Bumblebee. Sorry, um, <laughs> but I'm I, I basically so he was good, so so as Bumblebee was always being that really you know the the good rah rah you know he was he was the the, the, the good character he was the one that was the, the Peter Parker of the Transformers. That's a really good way to put it, actually. Right? Yeah, you know, but when Smokescreen came in, Smokescreen came in, he was. Is literally like he just he doesn't know what's happened. He just knows that he was put into hibernation and he gets released and now he's on this really weird planet. But there's Autobots and Decepticons and he wants to fight. So would you say he's like the Captain America of? Uh... I would say he's like the Larry Sue. <laughs> I would say he's more like Bucky from the old days before Bucky became Winter Soldier. Okay, you know he's the one who had or Robin. You know I'll call him Robin of the Transformers. How about yeah. that? Yeah. You know, and, and so is like his character. So they, they do the progression of his character. You don't know how why he's there. He's just a foot soldier in a sense. But what's great is that. He, 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 you know, again, his problem was, was that he was fly, like he was by fly the seat of the pants. He would just throw himself into a battle and, you know, things would sort of work out or they didn't work out. And when they didn't work out, the other Autobots would save him. And like RC and Bulkhead really got annoyed with him because they're foot soldiers as well. They were like, you can't do that. You just, you're make you're, you're going to kill us. Hmm. And in like, and Smokescreen really doesn't realize that until a little later in the season when he, they start to progress his character. And so, and it's like, okay. Uh, I can't do that. All right, now I'm going to be a better warrior because he wants to be a warrior. He doesn't want to be the medic. He doesn't want to be anything but the warrior. But he wants to be the hero. Yeah, the... yeah. And so I think what got me was then the episode of the final, like between season two and season three, is is the Decepticons are about to win. They destroyed Autobot base. Optimus is about to die. He basically smokescreen. He's, he's around. Smokescreen is still around. He has the phase shifter with him, so he finds Optimus, saves Optimus, and then Optimus. So then he gets the hammer of Solace, and then Optimus goes, "All right, you can't save me. I'm about to die. I'm making you Prime, right?" And they leave it. They leave it right there in a cliffhanger, and you're like, "Oh, are they going to do this?" Okay, so just yeah. to be clear here, the the name Optimus Prime just means he's the leader, and the Prime title is with the like leadership cube or something. Can be given to other people. It's the matrix of leadership. Sorry, you sorry. heathen. I know. Right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, so, I was in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> so he has. So it's basically is is a prime is 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 essentially is the leader. He's the one that instills the goodness of the Autobots and the goodness of what a Transformer is. And but then he's at death's door. Smokescreen has the hammer of Solus, and he essentially Prime says, you know, you need to become Prime. And like you sort of see the shock on Smokescreen's face, you see the sh- you feel the shock on your face as that episode happens, and you're like, "Are they going to do this? Is this going to? Wow, something new!" And they don't, <laughs> and they just use it to bring. So then Smokescreen saves Prime, so Prime becomes a new buffier. Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of prime. Yeah, he can fly now because <laughs> and why not? Gun. Yeah, and the miniguns. Mini the miniguns. Mini so he's sitting there just using a minigun like it's like Rambo. And oh, man. So, but, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But what I liked about it was that, he, you know, he grew from that. And he, he the character moved forward. And he basically, he, he you know, even though he was still kind of, you know, a, a very still quick trigger, he was still also, he was also able to... Um, uh, you know, think more. He was able to think more on his feet. He was able to do more things. They gave him what was great about uh, a smoke screen is they gave him the phase shifter. So now he had this ability. So he actually was able to become almost like the scout slash commando. Uh, so what commando. does a phase shifter do? He can walk through stuff. Okay, yeah. so he's like Kitty Pride. To kind, and, actually, yeah, yeah. That's, that's about the same thing. If we're yeah. going to keep translating to Marvel characters <laughs> so that I can understand. Well, like we were talking about that super armor before. Yeah. Like he pulls Starscream out of it by like shifting through the armor. 
yeah, and I'll grabbing grab. him and taking him out of it. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, okay. I'll grant that, and I yeah. don't like smokescreen. Like, so that now, was awesome. Before we get into your rebuttal about smokescreen, I just have one quick question here. Was Optimus Prime passing off the matrix of leadership? Yes. Was he passing it to Smokescreen yes. by default because he was the only one there, or did he genuinely think he was the next best person See, to be leader? That depends on how you're watching the show because <laughs> he is the only one there. And But throughout the whole show, maybe this is hijacking your thing. I'm getting into my rebuttal. Yep. As soon as Smokescreen shows up, he's the star. And Optimus Prime loves him and thinks he's great. And he can never do any wrong. And everything revolves around him. They're on this big like, quest for MacGuffins. And they, one of them is in Smokescreen. Wow, he's so important. <laughs> and they actually talk about it during the show. They're like, oh, great. Here comes Mr. Destiny. And I, I found that so frustrating. Like, besides the fact that why didn't they just make him Hot Rod? Because he was clearly playing Hot Rod's role. I'm glad from, they didn't because I couldn't stand Hot Rod. I, just, I, oh, my gosh. I, Even I, Rodimus Prime, I couldn't I, stand. I hated Rodimus Prime. Oh, but, yeah, but otherwise, <laughs> it's the same Hot Rod story, just with a different name. And, I mean, like, listen, the character's a lot of fun. He's voiced by Nolan North, Mr. Video Game Voice, the Assassin's Creed guy, the, the Uncharted guy. Deadpool, like, I think, too. Yeah, he does yeah. a lot of the Deadpool yeah. stuff. He does Cyclops the voice for that. Yeah. yeah, Great actor, great stuff, but just the character, like, it became the smokescreen show for a while. And well, when Prime was going to give him the Matrix, it was like, oh, come on! <laughs> really? I, I actually thought that was a great moment. I did, because I I, I wanted, I think, it would, even if they had given it to RC, I would have loved it. I would have loved this whole thing where they would have done something completely different. Yeah, but RC you know? earned it. Oh, Smokescreen just it. showed up one day. <laughs> yeah, sure, he just did. But, you know, but then he also, I think, again, it was that nobility aspect. In fact, also, I think it was also because he, he was working with Alpha Trion, I think. Or yeah. Alpha well, that, there's yeah. another thing. Oh, and yeah. he knows Alpha Trion. Yeah. Ooh. How does yeah. he, Alpha he's, Trion? He's, he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love you but, not knowing. Me. <laughs> it's like, who is this? Do you know who Soundwave is? <laughs> yeah, he's the boombox, right? <laughs> but like, imagine if, like, imagine if, like, in season four of Next Gen, a new crew member shows up on the ship, and he's best friends with Captain Picard, and he actually like, you know, like, he he saves the he becomes a new Wesley, and he saves right. the ship all the time, and everybody loves him, and then Picard is about to die, and he goes and give the command to you, kid. <laughs> You'd be like, what are you talking about? What about Riker? <laughs> and in this case, it was the same thing. What about Ratchet? What about RC? What about all these characters we've known for all, all these years? I felt it was smokescreen. Yeah, it would have been. I think it would have been a great idea because then it would have introduced a new character that would have, I think, be the like learning how to be a leader. And I think that would have been interesting because then even they could have gone with that whole that whole arc of a new leader d- doesn't know how to lead but will start to lead and then also has to have the mentors of Bulkhead or RC or Ratchet and has to listen to them. And then they also would in turn have to, you know what, he's, he has maybe some experience in some other ways that we don't know. Because uh, there's throughout the episodes, he actually starts saying like, oh, uh, he talks about Bulkhead's uh, uh, past. Um, uh, with the records. Uh, with the records and knowing how, like all his glory and, and stuff and victories. And so he knows that. And he, Bulkhead realizes that, you know, there's some, you know, he, he gets some confidence from that. And he's able to say, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I'm a good fighter. I'm a good, I'm a good warrior. Mm. And I think that's where Smokescreen, because Smokescreen looks up to him. Smokescreen looks up to RC and he says, you know, and, and, he, and he knows everything. Or he knows things that the other Autobots were not aware of because Alpha Trion was mentoring him in a sense. He was, he was stuck in the library back on Cybertron when the war was happening so he couldn't do anything when he wanted to be the warrior at the time and so that was the difference there right and I think that's also why Optimus goes with him in a sense that he because he has the fact Alpha Trion was mentoring him yeah that, it's a right? pretty strong connection if yeah. somebody comes to you it's like yeah I was in the desert with this weird old man you go oh okay this guy's important yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's that's fair yeah. okay uh, so I think we should probably wrap up soon but I just have to ask someone quickly you sort of eliminated Optimus Prime from the list for yourself because I mean I guess it's like it's like when someone asks uh, you know what's your favorite movie of all time or what's the best movie of all time the answer is almost always going to be Citizen Kane so you just eliminate that from the conversation just so there can be a conversation is it the same thing with Optimus Prime I think Optimus Prime is is we've been there done that we know since ever since the eighties that he's this great leader Megatron's this great villainous guy with his own code. Starscream we always know is the devious character. I think we need to get away from all those at the same time. So with this show, they come with their baggage. So if you wanted to add them to the list, you would be 
accounting, all that stuff that comes before. But if you're just looking at this show, these characters, these five, are the the best in your opinion. I think these are the best ones. Yes, I think they got they got some. I think they had great story arcs. I thought they were, uh, you know, the characters. They they had some good progression of the characters. I felt the characters. Uh, they were different, and I think that's what I liked about them the most. The different, you know, I mean, Dreadwing Skyquake, Skyquake really didn't have. He was a one and done run. He was dead after one episode, so they really didn't do much with him. Dreadwing was brought in, you know, and, and again, there was just because they took these other characters, characters that were that are lesser known, and made them part of and put them more into the limelight. Were and then uh, on top with the re- the ones that we do know, and that's what I liked about the characters, the the show, is because you didn't have this gamut of giant amount of characters throughout the whole season you had a very core bunch of group and if someone died someone new came in so that we got introduced to their story and so it didn't get to the point where we had upteenth amount of Autobots and upteenth amount of Decepticons to try to remember all their names <laughs> yeah because so. when you have they do run into that problem they have a lot of guys it's yeah. hard to care yeah it's true. and these these few characters had a lot of development they had interesting stories but there's really nowhere for Optimus Prime's story to go okay yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Uh, yeah, Tim, thank you so much for coming in oh, and, uh, and giving me an excuse to talk about Transformers. Because <laughs> no this guy, man. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. Such a disappointment. In any case, uh, th- yes, thanks to, the, thanks to our crew. Thanks to Stella Simeonola for putting this all on the web. Thanks to Ben Sound, bensound.com, for the Creative Commons use of this theme song. And thank you again for staying tuned to us and giving us a reason to do all this. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you got anything you want to say, you want to tell us about your favorite Transformers, please feel free to get in touch. Our website is geektop5.com. We can also be reached on Twitter at geektop5. We can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. And you can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. Geektop5. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>